Show number 54 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. Can you guess the secret sound, listeners? <laughs> that was the beginning of show 54. Now, what is the beverage of Look at His Butt? Oh, come on, you all know it. Not beer slushies. No, not tonight. We're having Verner's. Verner's. That was the sound of Verner's opening. Oh, and it's so good. Now, here it is October. School has been back in session. Rocktober. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> and we haven't given out homework in a while. It's true. We haven't. So we're going to start this segment with homework. Okay. Ready? So get your pencils. Get out your pens. Ready to take notes. The first one is this. Um, some of the Americans may know about this, but I'm certainly counting on you Brits. <laughs> something called the Bronx Bunny. Never even heard of it. Here's what I found out about it. The Bronx Bunny, which was a huge hit in the UK, stars two foul-mouthed puppets, the starstruck title character, and his cranky sidekick, Teddy T, the politically incorrect panda. The duo invites celebrity guests into their rundown TV studio where they run a low-rent talk show asking questions you don't hear on typical interview shows. Guests have included Jessica Alba and William Shatner. So can someone find it for us, please? Yes, we want we want to know about this. We want to see Bill talking to foul mouth puppets because that's only a smidgen away from talking to foul mouth butt girl. <laughs> and that would be another medium that William Shatner has conquered. <laughs> foul mouth puppets. Foul mouth puppets. Talk show. Foul mouth puppet talk show. <laughs> okay, so if you say so. If you guys can find it on YouTube or on one of the other uh, video sharing, you know, uh, Google videos or something like that, let us know because we'd love to see it. We would love well, to know more about that. We would great. absolutely love to see it. Now, this is an assignment for those of you in the New York area. Yes. Um, in honor of the 40th anniversary of Star Trek, there are a ton of events going on everywhere, but. Um, there is especially one we're very interested in. We know some other people who are going, but we want to get as many people as we can to uh, go to this and tell us about it. It is in Brooklyn at the Museum of the Moving Image. Mm-hmm. Which is a great museum. I've never been to it. I've heard about it. I've never been there, but apparently they have all kinds of really interesting stuff. And they're doing a special 40 Years of Fandom. Mm-hmm. And it will display more than 600 Star Trek collectibles, which I think might be a little bit more than what we have. Just a little. a little. Just a little. Including action figures, lunch boxes, and a Star Trek Barbie. I have Star Trek Barbie. <laughs> um, so these are, are plenty of media that Bill has conquered. We may not know about all of them. They are also having screenings. They're going to be showing Star Trek The Wrath of Khan, and they are also going to be showing some fan films. They are going to have <laughs> uh-huh. zines there because the emphasis is on the fans in this one. Mm-hmm. So that's a homework assignment is for you to go to the Museum of Moving Image, and I believe this goes on until February or March. So you've got some time on that assignment. It's not like we're not giving you plenty of advance warning. Yes, please. And even if there's local coverage of it in uh, newspapers or magazines, can you send those along too? Because that would be pretty awesome. Right. So that's your homework. Now, some news bits. Well, no, here's one other homework. As you may have heard... Bill, in addition to everything else he's doing, because Bill does everything and will do anything if uh-huh. you bring him enough money, uh-huh. is hosting a game show. Right. Now, I think we mentioned a couple weeks ago, 
in the context of Bill will do anything that he turned down a game show. He said. He said he did. And now he's hosting a game show. So we think it's the same game show. That that turning it down was a negotiating It quality. was. And they just gave him, you know, stock options or they drove a dump truck full of money up to his house or something. Right. And they have filmed seven episodes uh-huh. of this, which is what ABC committed to. So they haven't been on TV yet. But if you were there, if you were in the audience... If you were a contestant, Mm -hmm. we really want to hear about the experience. Absolutely. So that's another assignment. And, of course, when that comes on, we will be reporting on that. Now, I have totally even forgotten what this article that I'm (laughs) going to share with you was originally about. Oh, Uh I know what it was. It was this uh, BBC reporter, Uh BBC Will, Mm -hmm. who uh, went to uh, the Star Trek auction. Oh, the Christie's auction. Yes, and it was very interesting because her whole whole take on it was a little bit like uh, Becca, our reporter in uh-huh. Sacramento, but um, at, at one point she sort of segues into talking about her marriage, and I <laughs> want to read this. Fortunately, Richard is very understanding. He knew right from the start that there would be three of us in our marriage, <laughs> me, him, and William Shatner. <laughs> It began in the late 60s when I was a lanky child wearing national health specs. I had always enjoyed science and science fiction, and when Star Trek appeared, I developed a massive crush on Captain Kirk. Who wouldn't? Each week I would watch enviously whenever a shapely anthropologist or biologist joined a search party and, invariably, got to kiss the captain by the end of the episode. Oh, yeah. So... I want to say that she is not alone having Bill in her marriage, but I want to tell a little story about Bill in my marriage. Oh, yeah? Yeah. When uh, when I met my husband and we dated and we got married, my trekkiness was in a latency period because uh-huh. I'd you know been yeah. you know into trek you know in college mm-hmm. and everything, and then it kind of dropped off, and so um, it also wasn't on TV at that time. Right. So they started showing it again after we'd been married a couple of years, mm-hmm. and whenever it came on. I was surfing, I'd turn it on, and my husband would come through and go, Star Trek, and, you know, make these comments. But, you know, all of the trekkiness sort of bubbled to the surface. And in some ways, I feel like that was really unfair to him that I didn't share that with him earlier, but I didn't know. You withheld. I I didn't know this was going to happen. But I have to tell you why I'm so glad to be married to the man I am. Like I said, he doesn't get Star Trek. He thinks it's Uh ridiculous. He rolls his eyes over the whole thing. But we had probably been married four or five years when, at Christmas one year, I opened one of my presents, and it was the Star Trek compendium. <laughs> and you're, you, I'm just going to tell you, I got tears in my eyes, not Aww. at getting the Star Trek compendium, uh-huh. but getting it from him. Yeah. And the only way I could express it was to say to him, I know how hard this was for you. <laughs> Because he had to walk into a bookstore. It was worse than buying tampons. And buy <laughs> Star Trek Compendium. <laughs> it's true. Well, you know, knowing him the way I do, <laughs> I can see that he would do that. He's and a sweet guy. He is. He's a great guy. He's a great so, guy. Yep. I'm in that, that threesome, too. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> okay, what? We talked about Bill's game show. Oh, all right. A new... F- this isn't exactly a fan film, although it kind of is. Have you heard of this? Of Gods and Men? Yeah, this is the this is the guys. The the guys in New York in the, the car dealership. No, they were consultants on it. This is made this is different? This is different. Oh, well, I totally screwed that but up. But it is going to be... Uh, 
distributed over the internet, and it's got Nichelle in it. Yeah, there's a picture right and there. And Walter and Alan Ruck, who played Harriman. Okay, but um, got some information on this. Uh-huh. The, the basic plot, which this came from Koenig, is um, <laughs> the whole take on this is, what would it be like if Kirk hadn't lived? And I thought, you had to spend money and make a whole episode <laughs> when you could have called me, and I would tell you, it would suck. <laughs> you can go look at the Christopher Pike episode <laughs> and go, okay, we don't need to make this. What if there was no Kirk? Because we've seen it, and it sucks. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. But, you know, Walter's got a point to make. Which is? Well, that. <laughs> that. <laughs> So um, let me see. If I'm I not can... saying it's a good point or anything, but it's a point he needs to make. Okay. So, um, Star Trek of Gods and Men stars Nichelle Nichols, Walter Koenig, and Grace Lee oh, Whitney, bitch. <laughs> along with Alan Ruck, Captain Harriman. Um, joining them are Garrett Wang, Voyager, Voyager, Chase Masterson, Deep Space Nine, Gary Graham, and Crystal Allen, Enterprise. J.G. Hertzler, Hetzler, Hertzler, right. Deep Space Nine, and Tim Russ, Voyager, who will also direct. The same team that created the hit Roddenberry on Patrol, currently in release on DVD, and is. also directed by Russ, is producing the webisode. For more information and a trailer, you can check this out. I haven't gone there, but we'll post that What's, web. What is it? Uh, Star Trek of Gods and Men dot com. All, All right. one word. Star Trek of Gods and Men dot com. So uh, that's gonna that's gonna be coming to a computer somewhere near you. <laughs> Have you ever heard what the definition of a true geek is? What? <laughs> you camp out for three days outside your own cube <laughs> waiting for the new preview of Lord of the Rings to be released. <laughs> I told that really badly. Trust me, it's funny. And that's pretty much true. Yep. Okay, more news. <sighs> okay, well, here's something I didn't plan to talk about, but I'll tell you anyway. Uh-huh. On G4. Yeah. You know, one of those interactive features they have that I don't understand is the Spock market. Uh-huh. And I still don't understand <laughs> it. But apparently you trade points or something like, you know, every time there's a ripped shirt or every time this. Or uh-huh. But I don't understand how you win uh-huh. or lose. It's a game. Well, it's it's not popular. <laughs> and so they're getting rid of it. Oh, good. And the funny thing is somebody posted to the Shatner website saying, you know, this is a new person mm-hmm. who'd never been on the Shatner website before, saying, I love this and they're getting rid of it. Please, please get built and intervene. And, and because we all love it, we want this game to go on. And I followed like the first five, six replies, which all said, good, I hate that. It's distracting. <laughs> <laughs> so this person found no sympathy. So I don't know if that means they're just getting rid of the Spock market or the, the little comments and factoids and... I have heard nothing about this, so I can't nope. help you out there. But as we know, we hope, we all know this, they're going to start showing Star Trek TOS on TV Land. Yay! Which is the like sister channel of uh, Nick at Night. And here's the thing. In addition, the network will run a series of episodes from other classic TV shows that feature Star Trek cast Yay! members, such as Gunsmoke with Shatner, Bonanza with Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly, and Miami Vice with George Takei. Also, during the week of November 13th, it will air special space theme episodes from such classic shows as I Love Lucy, <laughs> Green Acres, and Benson. Now, I like the idea of showing 
yeah. the other things these Star Trek people have been in prior to Star Trek. And I think you could do a whole TV station of just Bill. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Obviously. I mean, we've practically got enough to run that we 24 could have, hours a day for a while. We could set up our own station. It's true. Well, I think that's great. And I think it's a good opportunity for people to um, get their VCRs or their TiVos going to, to capture some of this stuff because, um, you know... We have this massive collection of Shatner stuff mm-hmm. that has taken us a long time to put together and that we have had to uh, get from various sources all over the place. I mean, it's been a fairly arduous... finaglery. Yeah, finagling to get it all together. Um, so if this is an opportunity for you to tape some of the things that we have talked about or will talk about, do it. So check the listings for TV Land for that week. Um, I also read something recently that these new um, high-definition remastered things, Uh you know, they're showing more and more of those. And apparently on some stations, they are now showing them in high-def. Oh, really? So if you have a high-def TV and you're getting a high-def station... There you go. There you can can see it. That's cool. Now, this is so amazing. Um, How did this come up? Somebody had posted something somewhere about T'Pring's son. Right. It was an article written by Arlene Martell's son uh-huh. about kind of about what it's like to go to a Star Trek convention where the geeks are drooling over your mom. Right. Okay. So because of a role she did forty years ago. Right. And he says, by the way, my mom is still really hot, which kind of squicks me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> at the bottom of the that article, which was in Salon, was a link to this article that was in Salon in two thousand three. How did we miss this? How did we miss this? And. The headline on it is Captain Kirk's bulging trousers, and they aren't referring to fat. No, and the best thing about it, too, is the picture, <laughs> which is your favorite picture right there of Kirk in shore leave, ripped shirt. That looking, you made me a replica Looking of. so happy with his hands on his knees just before he and his fuck buddy go at it one more time. Hey, and I watched that the other day. That is one long fight. It goes, <laughs> it goes on forever through a commercial break. It goes up and down hills. It goes through the woods. It's all over the place. It's incredible. They can't get enough of each other. But anyway, listen to this. It's about um, the, when the set and, and doodads were on tour, but it says, A touring exhibition of genuine Star Trek gimcracks. <laughs> Reminds us of the virile greatness of the original Shatner Nimoy series and the PC limpness of all the spinoffs. And here's the first sentence. The first thing that greets me is Captain Kirk's package. (laughs) Jim's intergalactic manhood is clearly alarmingly outlined against the fabric of his tight 1960s cut black trousers dressing very much to the left. That's it. That's absolutely it. Says That's it our whole reason for being yep. right there. Yep. And you know what else? I don't know if I've told you this. I had a little email exchange with Becca, uh-huh. and she had gotten a letter from someone who said, I'm kind of ashamed to admit that I am now looking forward to checking if he actually does <laughs> dress to the left. So He dresses to the left. He dresses to the left. But this this article is very, very funny. Um. It has some not-too-flattering things to say about Bill and some not-too-flattering things to say about Leonard, but it also just keeps coming back to, there's this bulge. <laughs> and that's what made Star Trek great! And, that, you know, we great. agree. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Maybe that. Oh, wait, wait. I've got to read you the rest of this. I assure, Just the first paragraph. I assure you I wasn't looking for it. It just loomed up like a decloaked <laughs> Romulan bird of prey. It shouldn't be surprising that James Tiberius Kirk, the famously gung-ho Starfleet commander, went commando, <laughs> boldly swinging where no man had swung before. 
Maybe that, as much as his twinkly mascara eyes and his captaincy of the fastest, flashiest vehicle in the galaxy, the USS Enterprise, was the secret of Caddish Jim's phenomenal success with lady humanoids and aliens <laughs> alike. That's great. That's it. Yep. That yep. is really good. And it goes on in the, the same vein and um, as we could do easily. As we always do. But we're going to post a link to that because oh, totally. any article that you know, starts out with a paragraph like that is worth reading the whole thing. Well, I would like to read this article because it's so funny um, and it's not that long. <laughs> yeah. This cracked me the hell up. Um, the Christie's auction was a couple weeks ago and uh, it was covered in, in a lot of the papers because they sold quite a lot of stuff and a lot of it went for quite a lot of money. Much more than what they had been estimating. Right. Uh, so it was, it was a really big deal. So there was an article about this in uh, Wired and it's a parody article, which I didn't realize until I got <laughs> a couple of paragraphs into oh, it. Oh no. But um, it's very, very funny. So I'm going to read it pretty quickly because there are just some, the, the person who wrote it, um, uh, uh, Lori Sjoberg, I guess, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, did a really good job. It's, it's called Grok Spock on the Auction Block. Recently, a number of Star Trek items were auctioned at Christie's, which is an auction house, not the location of the next kegger, and pulled in over 7 million American credits. That's a lot of money. How much is that in Quatloos? I don't know. Among the items sold were models of the Next Generation Era Enterprise and the Borg Cube. It is not known who bought these items, but Steve Jobs was overheard behind his locked office door the next day saying, Pew! Zap! You will be assimilated! (laughs) They even sold a version of Captain Kirk's command chair that never felt the warm pressure of William Shatner's ass. (laughs) It was used in a Deep Space Nine time travel episode, but it still went for more than $60,000. That's a lot of money for a replica of a prop. (laughs) In addition, a model of Deep Space Nine went for $132,000, a model of the USS Voyager went for the same amount, and a model of the Enterprise from the final series with Scott Bakula went for, quote, a bite of some guy's sandwich. (laughs) That's great. A spokesman for Christie's was quoted as saying, holy cow, we had no idea people were going to shell out that much for this plastic crap. When TV Guide started doing multiple covers with Star Trek characters years ago, I thought they were nuts. Who's going to buy multiple copies of TV Guide? I thought, well, now I know. Insane rich geeks. (laughs) Go. Smelling the rich, loamy scent of money. Paramount has begun combing the lots for every possible piece of matter remotely associated with any of the Star Trek series. Here are a few of the items that will be showing up in the next auction. And these are really funny. <laughs> Janeway's hairspray. Oh! <laughs> this lot is made up of 50 cans of Lady Lacquer hairspray, enough to keep Captain Janeway's hair in place for approximately three episodes of Star <laughs> Trek Voyager. <laughs> Expert analysis indicates that there might be up to three milliliters of spray left in one of the cans, enough to spritz out and take a big whiff of the future. (laughs) Captain's chair. This isn't the actual captain's chair used in the original Star Trek series, nor is it the replica captain's chair used on an episode of Star Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Rather, it is a likeness of a model of a recreation of the replica of the original captain's chair used in the little scene Star Trek anti-drug PSA, Space Captains Don't Smoke Crack. (laughs) They didn't put much work into it. It's just a lazy boy pulled out of a junkyard and strung with Christmas lights, but it's still expected to go for an even hundred grand. (laughs) 
Vulcan ears. These latex ear tips never appeared in any episode of the Star Trek series. They're out of those. More than a thousand sweaty little globs of fake skin, and they're all in the hands of collectors. No, these are the Vulcan ears worn by Sandra, the sexy science officer, who won second prize in the Champ Herb Trek Wars Con costume in 1998. <laughs> Look, you want ears? These are the ears they got. <laughs> Water bottle. This bottle of Evian, one-third full, Capstillon, was found in the Star Trek prop room next to a busted McCleth. Expert appraisers are almost certain it was personally used by Patrick Stewart to help him stop coughing after he choked on a biscuit. They're not sure whether that's biscuit in the British or the American sense. It's also possible that it was used by Terry Farrell on the set of Deep Space Nine to hydrate after a wrestling session with an invisible star slug. And there is the slight chance that it was used by Jerry Ryan, Voyager 7 of 9, to pour over the head of a sexually aggressive member of the lighting crew. (laughs) It's expected to go for over $20,000. And the last item is a busted mechleth. It's a Klingon sword thing. Presumably, someone will want it. Bravo. That was really, really good. Very, very, very funny. So I'm glad when people get it. And clearly the person who wrote about this knows about Star Trek. That's yes. the thing that makes it funny. It's yes. not like an outsider trying to joke about something. I like the name they made up for that con. Champ or <laughs> Trek Wars Trek Con. <laughs> I think we need to have a con with that I name. I think so too. I also like Space Captains Don't Smoke Crap. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Um. I don't know why this occurred to me, but we should mention it. You posted a link on the blog to the, um, on YouTube, the commercial. Oh, the DirecTV commercial. The DirecTV commercial, which um, had Star Trek footage in it, which was so much fun to see. Yeah. But um, someone I know pointed out to me, and as I was telling it to you practically, it came up on the TV, and so we did get to see it. Um, This person said that they were a little disturbed by Bill's lack of Star Trek sideburns. Yeah. So DirecTV did not pay enough money to make it worth Bill shaving his sideburns into little points. Or they didn't pay their CGI guys enough to make them into little points. I mean, come on. They yeah, could have done that. That's true. So when when they finish remastering all of Star Trek and get around to remastering all the other Bill things, and in about a thousand years they'll be down to things like the yeah, DirecTV yeah, yeah. commercial, that's one of the things they need to work on. I agree. Put it on their list. We'll let them know about that. Yep. I agree. Okay. Uh, Let's take a little break. Let's watch some stuff. And then we'll come and we'll talk about the stuff we watched. And popcorn. And popcorn. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Talk to us. You know you want to. Leave comments at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com. Send email to lookathisbutt at gmail.com. This entire podcast recorded on an Apple PowerBook with GarageBand. This is TSFPN.com, the sci-fi podcast network. you found the best podcasts in the universe. Splish, splash. <laughs> Bill was wet. He was wet and he was wearing a bathing suit. Yeah. And it was 1964. And he was making out with a woman on the beach. Woo! Woo! 
All right. And other than that, not much happened. Uh, there was a lot of talking. <laughs> so we just watched a movie called The Shattered Glass, 1964. It was a um, made-for-TV. It wasn't a movie. It was a, a Bob, one-hour drama. Bob Hope Chrysler Theater thing uh, that he was in one episode of. So uh, starring him and Shirley Jones with black hair. And Shirley Jones with black hair looks an awful lot like Eleanor Donahue. I decided. <laughs> and uh, let's see. This pretty much had a little something for everyone. It had architects. It had um, drunkenness. It had incest. It had uh, a, a funny bartender. It had a guy wearing <laughs> funny sunglasses. A guy wearing funny sunglasses and, and a sash instead of a belt. <laughs> And Sex on the Beach. Yeah. Yeah, which was pretty much the best part of it. Oh, and Hard Nipples. It, it had Hard Nipples. <sighs> so, um, would you like to try and sum up the plot of this? I think you could do a better job. Than I me. will try. Um, okay, Bill plays a guy named David mm-hmm. who comes to the beach at Nemorensis. <laughs> what a horrible name. I know. I thought it was going to like turn into Shangri-La or Maybe it or means something. I'm going to Google this word and okay. see if it is like the Greek word for miserable, drunken and bastard. It turns out he's a, a young, gorgeous, failed architect mm-hmm. who gets fired from everything for drinking. Mm-hmm. But years ago, he studied with this professor of art, or this famous architect who's running a school now at Nemorensis. On the beach, apparently. On the beach. And David was in love with this guy's daughter, Helen, she was married to someone else who committed suicide. And he arrives at the beach just in time to stop her from committing suicide, but she really wasn't. But it gave them both an, a chance to get wet. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And so wet Bill and wet Shirley go to a bar, <laughs> and he wants her to run away with him. And the rest of the episode is spent talking about why she should run away with him. And her father saying, no, you can't. You must go to Paris with me. And then they spend the night together on the beach. And the next morning, Bill is gorgeous in a bathing suit and wet and hard nipples. And they're kissing. And he pounces on her. He, like, falls on her with his mouth open. Oh, my God. It was so sexy. It's amazing. But um, so the upshot of it is that um, she tells him no because he wants to go to Pakistan. That's where he's been Mm -hmm. offered a job. She has to stay with her father and go to Paris with him because he needs her. I didn't know there was Pakistan in 1964. Well, there must have been. They couldn't have made it up. <laughs> well, I guess so. Well, they made up Namorensis. So maybe true. maybe Namorensis is a city and made up Pakistan. But um, so somehow Bill confronts the, the professor, the architect, and Bill starts drinking again because the mm-hmm. daughter won't, won't marry him, although she said she'd marry him. It's very unclear. And then the architect says, well, this is how you win her. You have to be needy, and you have to just start drinking and hit rock bottom because... She's a caregiver and right. blah, blah, blah. And that's and, how he's held on right. hers, by being a needy old weirdo. And so he does. And so Bill does. <laughs> Bill goes and gets really drunk and meets this very funny bartender. <laughs> Bill gives him the history of liquor. Uh-huh. Which was actually mostly true from, yeah. from what I know, like all of the things that he said. Yep. And it was very funny that I, I said that thing about the Egyptians just when he said and that the thing. Bill goes and the Egyptians drank. And the bartender slaps Bill around, and Shirley comes in, oh, and takes him home. Come home, darling, I'll take care of you. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's all playing out true. And they get back to the house, and he has a fight with the architect, and suddenly Shirley realizes that neither one of them really 
loves her. They just need her, and uh-huh. she has to find her own path. And so she walks out. The end. The end. And we were sitting there going, that's it? Well, you know what the problem was? <laughs> because of who we are? Mm-hmm. We thought the movie was about Bill. That's true. And, <laughs> and it's about Shirley. Shirley Jones, which is too bad. So we thought there could have been several possible endings that she just leaves, um, that she kills herself the way mm-hmm. her, her dead husband did by walking Ted. into the sea. Yes, Teddy. Um, or I thought it, it was likely that she would have gone down to the beach and hooked up with one of the um, young architectlets and took off with him. Like Don Marshall. Like Don Marshall, yeah, because he was pretty handsome. Mm-hmm. Or the, the, the guy playing the guitar and singing, uh, what's the name of that song? I Know Where I'm Going. going. That's it, thank you. We but I don't know the name of the song. <laughs> I, th- I think it actually might be called that because we used to sing it in choir. I Know Where I'm Going? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. I'm just going over the lyrics in my mind to see if there's another title. No, that's it. That's it. That's it. But anyway, it was 1964. It was in color. A lot of it was on the beach. Yeah. Bill was gorgeous. Oh, His amazing. His butt looked fantastic. He looked great. Shaved chest. trim. Mm-hmm. And yeah. lots of nice muscles showing. Uh, lots of dressing to the left showing. Lots of dressing to the left, Yeah. Just looking great. His face was just so beautiful. Uh-huh. Oh, unbelievable. And yet, you know, I was thinking he looked sort of tan. I wonder if this was just post-Alexander the Great or something. Um, Sounds about right. Because he really looked golden, you mm-hmm. know, as he would be from spending all that time riding around in the desert on horses wearing yep. wearing a diaper. <laughs> Tidy whities Tidy whities Oh, he looked so good. But we were noticing... That it's amazing in his early career, with the exception of, like, Alexander the Great, Mm -hmm. I think, until he got to Star Trek, he so frequently played weak, indecisive, Mm -hmm. or mama's boy Mm -hmm. roles. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, I I was thinking about that, especially that one thing that he was in, uh, where he played... um, Another sort of incestuous relationship with... Oh, mommy died, (laughs) that one. (laughs) had a horrible title like mother may i go out to swim or something yes like that. yes oh i'm glad you remember that yeah that but was, he did a lot of those kind he of did. Roles. i know he i did. mean like in the the um the twilight zone nick of time mm-hmm. he, he's totally controlled by this little machine and then the the wife talks yeah, him out of that's it that's right well i think now we haven't seen episodes of um the thing where he was the public defender and i assume no. that in that he was a much stronger character i mean i don't know that right. but i would guess since he was supposed to be the star of the show um, so that that will be an interesting thing to see. Um, yeah, maybe we've just hit a streak. Yeah, I think so. Um, so I looked up Nemorensis, and um, in Wikipedia it says, Diana Nemorensis was the, a deity of classical antiquity, also known as Diana of the Wood. So I guess Nemorensis means wooded area. Um, her sanctuary, Blanche Dubois. Yeah, her sanctuary was found on the northern shore of a lake beneath the cliffs of the modern city Nemi, and I guess that's where the name comes from. So maybe there's something about the cliffs that makes it, in his mind, like Nemorensis. Or maybe Diana Nemorensis is the married name of uh, Diana Diana Lorcock, or whatever <laughs> her name was, who was Bill's first girlfriend. She married Phil Nemorensis. Yeah, Phil Nemorensis. And their their lovely little children, uh, um, Buffy and Sparkle, <laughs> Nemorensis twins. <laughs> so this was very weird. There there were 
there were a couple points where it seemed pretty clear that there was an incestuous relationship between Shirley Jones and her dad, including one scene in which she kisses him full on the lips, which both of us totally squicked out. Yeah, not like a little pet, but like a kiss. That was gross. That was icky, and we're going, incest on TV in 1964? Yeah. Wow. It was was yucky. It was creepy. It was very much. Um, And we get to see Bill um, portraying a drunk, which I guess he does okay at. Mm-hmm. He he wasn't a, a stereotypical acting sort of drunk, but he no, didn't, he didn't come off as uh, I don't know. I guess you can't do that when you're acting. I mean, he can't act like a real drunk person. I mean, he did the knocking over the pencils thing, which was mm-hmm. supposed to be an indication of how drunk he was. I thought he did a slightly better job when he was in the bar arguing with the bartender. That actually seemed yes, pretty. Yes, that pretty was realistic. that was good. Yeah. So what do you think is the significance of the title, The Shattered Glass? I have no idea. There is a scene where, there's two scenes where he finds a bottle on the beach, an empty bottle, and then he throws it into the water. And then there's a scene later on where Shirley Jones finds an empty bottle on the beach, but she just picks it up and then drops it there. So neither of those bottles were shattered. There was no shattered glass throughout this entire episode. I was waiting Mm -hmm. for like a mirror or a bottle or... A window. Glass eye. Something. Pair of glasses. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't mean anything. I spent a little bit of time Googling it during the boring parts. and uh, <laughs> Meaning Bill wasn't on Bill screen. When Bill wasn't on screen. And I, I couldn't turn up any sort of other information about it. It was just one of those many acting jobs that he did pre-Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Oh, he worked very steadily. Yeah. Thank goodness so much of it has survived. Oh, and he looks so Oh, man. Those trunks that he had on were, were so weirdly typical of men's bathing suits at the time. Really tight. Yep. With a very high waistband that almost yep. covered his navel. And then around the bottoms, so they're not, they're more like shorts than briefs, but the, the bottom had a, like a tightish band, like almost an yeah. elastic band around the bottom. You know what they're like is they're like those, um, it's it's underwear they make for for women now. I'm assuming mostly young girls wear them. The boy briefs, yeah, that are yeah, for girls. they look like that, yeah, yeah. They were kind of like that. Uh-huh. Uh, but boy, his butt looked great, and his back looked really good. <gasps> I think we were both noticing that because he, in the one scene with Shirley Jones, she's laying on her back in a sleeping bag, and he lays down on his stomach, mm-hmm. and then is sort of embracing her, and you get this beautiful shot of his back. Yep, all and you muscly. could you could also see um some of those um abdominal muscles too mm-hmm. when you were looking at the front and his legs look <sighs> yum and yum he, and he was wet he was wet and glistening oh he was and he had hard nips he did we were happy so he did her right oh shirley jones totally yeah, yeah. i don't see why not yeah. you think he had to beat up marty ingles <laughs> Was she married marty ingles then i don't know i think no i think she was married to um uh What's his name? The father of David. Jack Cassidy. Oh, right. Yeah. (gasps) Wow. Do you think Bill could beat up Jack Cassidy? Totally. Oh, okay. Jack Cassidy was gay. You know that? No, I didn't know that. He always seemed fairly tough, though. He, I I read, where did I read it? Oh, it was in a biography of George Sanders. (laughs) Somehow it came out. (laughs) Okay, this is turning into the Simpsons episode. (laughs) Tell us who's gay in Hollywood. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, Jack Cassidy was gay, or at least bisexual. Wow. Because he did have kids. So he, he had sex with Shirley Jones at least twice. Right. <laughs> and then he said, here, Bill, you take her. Okay. I'm 
So Bill didn't have to beat him up. Didn't I read somewhere else that Shirley Jones and Marty Engels had wild sex parties at their house? Wow. Yeah, I heard that. I don't I'm know sure Bill true. was at them. <laughs> of course he was. I, I, you don't have a wild sex party in Hollywood without Bill. That's what makes it a wild sex party. Uh, oh, so funny. So that was really weird. Yeah. That show. But it was in color, and it did have Bill in a bathing suit. It's, so. Yes, and I couldn't help noticing that we were both pounding down the popcorn as fast as we could, going, <laughs> There was so much buttly goodness in this oh, one. Oh, yeah. It really was. Yeah, this was, this was good butt girl viewing. I know. You know, we, we were saying before, and I think it's absolutely true, we could start our own television station mm-hmm. just showing Shatner. All the time. Mm-hmm. And it would be weeks before you ever repeated anything. Right. Because it would just be... All- and we wouldn't even have to really repeat it because if we were watching it live every time, every mm-hmm. time we saw something, we'd have new things to say Oh, about yeah, it. yeah. Because there's always more Shatner goodness to mine. It's true. You know, that would be a fun thing to do, would be to make up the programming schedule for the all <gasps> Shatner channel. Like, every, <laughs> fr- be great. every Friday night at 9 o'clock is Impulse. No, midnight. Okay, midnight. Every Friday at midnight yep. is Impulse. And it turns into kind of a Rocky Horror yeah, show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because yeah, people yeah. people know what's going going sure. to happen. And, 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 and they all have to throw hot dogs at the hold my <laughs> hot dog scene and stuff like that. Yep. See, that would be great. And, and you know, with all of the, the episodes of Star Trek and all the episodes of Boston Legal... And um, Barbary Coast and, and um, um, what the hell is it? The Defenders, the thing where he's the... Yeah, the Defenders. Or, or whatever it's called, I don't remember. He did like two different lawyer series yeah. actually when he was young. And uh, T.J. Hooker. Yeah. And Rescue 911. I mean, he's done so much And stuff. now his game show. And now a game show. <laughs> and um, not to and mention... Iron Chef. Iron Chef. All the interviews he's ever done. All the little guest appearances. That episode of Kung Fu. I mean... It's and we have to come up with a very special slot where we show the E um, out to lunch interview. Maybe that would be like a wild card that would just show up. And the bill faking an orgasm. Yeah, just at our discretion. Yeah. You know, it would be like, you never knew when it would be on. Well, one, that would be kind of the contest thing when yeah. it shows up, like the, the 12th caller or something yeah, wins. Yeah. I don't know, a replica of a rip shirt or something. So once a week, the E! interview would be on, but you'd never know exactly when it would be on, and you'd have to watch for it. Mm-hmm. That would be great. Bill Imagine TV. That. Bill TV. That would be awesome. It would be great. And people would watch it. Of course. It would be so good. It would get We would be the most TiVo'd thing <laughs> in the world. All Bill, all the time. We, the Nielsen's would be like totally, totally blown out of the water, and all these people would be going... My God, why didn't I ever think of this? Why was I, you know, programming these these bad new shows when I could have just been showing Shatner? <sighs> we always have the best ideas. Yeah. Oh. Well, if you'd like to see his Shatner channel on TV, let us know. <laughs> and we'll put together a programming schedule. And, you know, we'll see what we can do. Brought to you by the Butt Girls. <laughs> You know how they have... Um, and our main sponsors would be sex toys. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> so you know how they have... So there's internet radio stations, right? Not just podcasts like this, but actual stations that just broadcast regular programming. Soon there's going to be, you know, internet t- TV stations where it's just programming that's streaming all the time that you can mm-hmm. watch. And I think this could be one of the premier um, internet TV stations. I think so. Yeah. 
And since it's on the internet, we wouldn't have to bother getting, like, the rights to any of this stuff. We'd just put it out there. <laughs> Is that how it works? Is that written in the fine print yeah, of the internet? Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's not like we're making money off of it or anything. Just getting people. We're just spreading the gospel of Bill C. will turn it into a religion. Okay. And, and then it's just exempt from everything. No taxes. No copyright. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, they can't touch us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that totally works for me. And we we we've, we've already got a prayer. That's right. That's right. We wrote a prayer. We, we never did. found it. I ha- actually I did it's find like it. It's like the lost scrolls uh, or it something. Is. We have to work up a little musical accompaniment to go with it. I oh, think. that'll be easy enough. Yeah, we can do that. I can play that strange Christmas hymn I have. <laughs> the one that makes us all laugh with the second to the last chord. <laughs> Because it's like a, a fully augmented, yes, half-diminished... I love that chord. It's so funny. I remember you playing that, and we just cracked up and fell off of our chairs. Because it was so over the top. If it's possible for a, one chord to be over the top, that, that was, was it. it. We'll have to record that chord for our Christmas show. Oh, we will. We'll open with that. <laughs> just the chord. Oh, that's great. Okay, well, we certainly strayed off topic in our usual... <laughs> way yeah okay so let's take a little break and okay. we'll watch something else and okay then we'll come back and tell you what other strange silly um bill tv program we've watched <laughs> cue the music You want to watch All About Eve, but you don't have two and a half hours. You watch the low-rent version of it that we just saw. <laughs> With gorgeous Bill playing Bill Sampson, the director. That's right, that's right. But his and, name wasn't Bill Sampson, it was Eli. Right, and Jack Klugman playing um, Lloyd, the writer. <laughs> But Celeste Holm was not in this one. Oh, really? And neither was Betty Davis. And neither was Betty Davis. Or, um, and what's her name? Baxter. Thank you. But it was or George Sand. It it was it sorely lacked George Sanders. Um, Agnes Moorhead was doing sort of a, a creditable version of the Betty Davis role, not of Betty Davis specifically. <laughs> so this was called the Protege. Yes, and it was a uh, an episode of a TV series that was called Suspicion. And I think that was like another one of those anthology <laughs> yeah, series. Yeah, yeah. And it was an hour, right? Uh-huh. It was in black and white. Um, 1958. So Bill was 27. He was 27. And oh, so thin. Just You could oh. put your hands around his waist. He just looked so thin. And so young and yummy. And um, surprisingly, not in one of those weak guy roles that we were just talking yes. about a minute ago. Um, I, I liked him in this role. Mm-hmm. He was uh, sort of a no-nonsense director type, yep. like, let's get down to business and get this done, but not an asshole either. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of expecting his character to turn out to be an asshole after that initial scene where, uh, so he's the director and Jack Klugman is the writer and wants to convince him that they should do a play together and that Agnes Moorhead should star in it. 
and uh, Bill doesn't initially want to do it, but he gets talked into it because he sees the value of this. Well, and I like, too, that it was written this way and that he played it this way, that, as you said, he was um, a no-nonsense director. You know, he knew the job. It was a business to him. Mm -hmm. Instead of these parodies of directors, you know, that they're, I don't know, wearing berets and flipping their scarves mm-hmm. over their shoulders. Oh, people, what are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. or, or anything like that. He was very believable. He was. And very, even as a very young man, very capable of playing authority mm-hmm. and playing it to much older actors. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he was doing a director the way you think directors actually are, like with a million things to do and carrying around a clipboard and doing a lot of organization and not just directing the actors on the mm-hmm. stage, but running the show. Like yep. he was really yep. running the show, which was great. Um, so let's see what happens. So they have this play and, um, Agnes Moorhead has, uh, a protege, hence the title. <laughs> so subtle. <laughs> whose character's name is Pam. And I can't remember what the, the actor's name is. Um, and uh, what a surprise, Pam turns out to be um, a backstabbing, devious, um, all-about-Eve type. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, it, it, the story was Agnes Moorhead had once been a very great actress mm-hmm. who uh, whose career went into a serious tailspin because of a drinking problem and was, like, drunk on opening night. And so she had opened an acting school where apparently this Pam mm-hmm. was one of her students. And for some reason, she was doing this play in a summer stock that mm-hmm. William Shatner was directing, and Pam was in it in a very small way. And Jack Klugman, the playwright, was a friend of the director, and he had this play, mm-hmm. and he really wanted Agnes Moorhead to play the lead. Mm-hmm. Of course, we're, we're using all the actors' names because we can't really remember what their characters' names yeah. were. <laughs> and this was a play that you know was going to go to Broadway, mm-hmm. and so they... They argue about it and decide, okay, yeah, we'll use her. We'll do it as a tryout here at the the summer stock. Mm-hmm. And she talks them into giving Pam the role of, I believe, her daughter mm-hmm. or something. And meanwhile, backstabbing little Pam tells them that Agnes Moorhead is drinking mm-hmm. again. And, and, you know, what could they possibly do? There's no one who, who could do the role except, well, gosh... I just happen to have memorized all the lines because I've been queuing her so much. <gasps> hey, kids, you know, yeah. let's get Judy and Mickey in here to rewrite it so mm-hmm. it's the older sister, not the mother, and we'll do it and the whole thing. And uh, and then Agnes Moorhead pretty much finds out about it, mm-hmm. and we're led down the garden path thinking it's going to go a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it didn't. It actually had kind of a happy ending. It did, yeah. Except Pam was still alive. But yeah, but we hoped that someone would kill her after the curtain fell literally and figuratively yeah. on this um but yeah it, it was it kind of surprised us um it literally had a gun in the first act that did in fact go off by the last act which was good but it yep. didn't didn't quite go off in the way that we thought it would no so that was that was interesting but Ag- agnes moorhead outside of the scenes where she was playing the play within a play which was very <laughs> <laughs> It gave a really solid performance. Yeah, she was She's good. A very good actress. And uh, for some reason, I was thinking about this as we were watching it. I had read something about, you know, Shatner's career and pointing out that a lot of people are unaware of his early work and, and don't realize that he was in Judgment mm-hmm. at Nuremberg, mm-hmm. which had Spencer Tracy and uh, Richard Widmark, Maximilian Schell, Judy Garland, all these, these named people. Mm-hmm. And they said... And really, this makes him such a valuable link to early Hollywood when you're playing Six Degrees. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, 
Well, yeah, you know, you go through these things, and something like this. Here's Agnes Moorhead, who mm-hmm. was, you know, in so many things, mm-hmm. and there's Bill, you mm-hmm. know, right up there holding his own, doing a really good job. Mm-hmm. I I was really happy to see her in this, and. I, I thought she did a really, really good job, as as Bill had done, because her character, you're not quite sure when you see her character what kind of person she's going to be. And there were so many places where it could have gone just into being a character you didn't like. Mm-hmm. Like she could have been a complete diva through the whole thing or been really, really weak. And I thought she did a really nice job of playing it on a lot of different levels. So she has been a great actor, and she knows that. Like mm-hmm. she knows that she was good, and she knows that she can be good again. Um, she knows that, um, she needs help to do it now. She recognizes that in herself. And she also is like an actor really wanting the director's approval. And we see that in a couple of places Mm -hmm. where even though she's kind of acting like a diva, she really wants him to say to her, you're doing a good job. Right. And, but she also knows when she's good. And I, I, I really like that when you see people who are supposed to be, good actors in in movies you know they're supposed to have this reputation actually acting like actors with instincts and knowledge about the acting craft Mm -hmm. that's one of the things i love about all about eve is that for as much you know just over the topness all of the characters are true to who they're supposed to be Mm -hmm. like the writer knows that he's a good writer and can write good plays. The director knows that he's a good director and that people can play certain roles or they can't. Mm-hmm. You know, Betty Davis's character knows when she's good at something and when she's not and can tell a good play from a bad play and when other people are good or when they're not. And the, the great thing about that, we're really getting off topic now, mm-hmm. but anyway, is that Betty Davis herself is so good yeah. in so many things mm-hmm. that when we see her in this and she's she's very much a star and very overbearing and very hard to work with. And we know they put up with this Mm -hmm. because she's so damn good. Mm -hmm. And part of it is because it's being played by Betty Davis. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's very true in the theater. I mean, I've seen it that people you're going, Oh my God, why do they continue to get hired? They're so hard to work with because they deliver the goods. They do. I, I'm just thinking that there have been, I, I can't think of one right now, but I've seen lots of movies and lots of TV shows about actors, mm-hmm. about people who are supposed to be good actors. And the performance that is, is given does not give that to you at all. All you have is a person who says, oh, and she's such a great actor, but you mm-hmm. never see it. You never see any instinct or talent or anything like that. So... It's just you have to take someone's word for it. And mm-hmm. I think in, even in a little show like this, you get, you know, Agnes Moorhead makes it seem like her character, whatever her name was, was really good and talented and knew what she was doing. Right. And that, I think that is lacking in many performances by actors these days who are pretty much not a bunch of very talented people. Well, it, especially if you put them in something that is totally outside of their own narrow little world. Mm-hmm. So if you, you said to Scarlett Johansson, okay, you're playing a successful Broadway actress, she wouldn't have a clue. Mm-hmm. Not just the Broadway part, but the part of being a stage actress. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what goes into that? What, just how a person like that would be. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, and nobody could really explain it to them either, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm a big Agnes Moorhead fan. I just love things that she's done. And I always think of how amazing she was in Magnificent Ambersons, which is, you know, a flawed film in many ways. But she is just so good in it. I yeah. mean, her performance is such a standout. Do you know what the first thing was I ever saw her in? What? When I was not bewitched? <laughs> no, not bewitched. I knew her before that. Really? For what? Um, 
the Haley Mills Pollyanna. Really? She plays the old invalid. Wow. I don't think I knew that. I haven't seen that film in a long time. Well, obviously it made an impression on me because I saw it when I was eight or something and, and still remember her from that. Uh, we saw it in Catholic school. <laughs> they showed it to us as uh-huh. like fun. And okay. I just remember not really liking it very much. It was very long okay. to me as a whatever, a seven-year-old or something. Um, anyway. Anyway, so there we go. So Agnes Moorhead, very, very good. Uh, the woman who was playing uh, the devious backstabber was okay. I mean, yeah. She's not very good. She, you know, she was all right for what she was yeah. doing. You yeah. Know. Yeah. Uh, just, I mean, uh, three very quality actors, right? Agnes Moorhead, Jack Hugman, and William Shatner. I think you would have to be a pretty high quality actor to hold your own against the three of them. And her name was Phyllis Love. And what have we <laughs> heard of her doing since then? Uh, nothing. Nothing. So she went back to being the director's girlfriend, and that yeah. was pretty much it after that. Um, it was really interesting to see Shatner and Klugman playing together. Very different acting styles, mm-hmm. I think, but both bringing sort of an intensity to their, their roles. That that scene between the two of them where uh, Jack Klugman is trying to talk Shatner into hiring uh, Agnes Moorhead, I thought was really well done. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that Klugman was doing that thing that he does really well, which is just being forceful with few words and not, not yes. giving an inch and seeing Shatner sort of, you know, coming, trying to go around that and come up against right. that because he doesn't want to give an inch either and, and losing. Yeah. <laughs> well, also, um, Bill had some dialogue that I know f- sounded tinny to our <laughs> ears. Like when he called Jack Klugman baby. Yeah. And when they were talking about, they had to replace Agnes Moorhead. He goes, it's about protection. Get it? Protectionville. <laughs> no. So cool. <laughs> that was funny. But, um, yeah, it's, it's just really wonderful to to see him doing this early work. And we've seen some stuff that's, that's fairly old, you know. Mm-hmm. And he's a young actor, but you don't see any of that awkwardness or, you know, like some people you can watch it and go, well, you can see the seed of what he would become yeah. or blah, no, blah, blah. There was you like know? no hesitation at no, all. He's no, just... he is right there. And he worked all the time. You mm-hmm. know, he, um, once he got into acting, he worked steadily, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't have to take these extra jobs and stuff. So he was always working. He was a reliable young actor. Mm-hmm. And I think you can see from shows like this and, and some of the other early stuff that we've seen him in, um, how he got to be such a professional because in shows like this, you know, you couldn't do 27 takes. Mm-mm. You got one take, maybe two takes if you really fucked it up the first time around. You had to know your lines and hit your marks and mm-hmm. do everything. And just, it was a job. Get it done. I found it interesting, too, in one of the recent things we talked about probably a couple weeks ago. I think it was somebody discussing Boston Legal and saying how, how uh, Spader prepares meticulously yeah, yeah. and everything. And Bill comes in and, and gives his performance. And if it doesn't work, he'll do something entirely different the next time around. And a couple of actors that I've worked with um were like that and i've had directors or i've heard directors say oh one of the things i like about working with her is every time she comes in every rehearsal there's something more there's Mm -hmm. something different she's Mm -hmm. always giving me more and directors will tell you that all the time they would rather have you go all out and just uh, dive off the deep end because mm-hmm. it's easier to reel you back in mm-hmm. than to push you mm-hmm. and to show them all these other things so they can say, that's the thing I want. Yeah, that works. Yeah. Keep that. Toss that. You know, mm-hmm. and you can, it's, it's interesting to me to hear that Bill is 
that type of actor, and, and I think that contributes to the spontaneity of his performances, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that they don't look or feel canned because the the presence is always there. Yeah, and I think we, we even saw a little tiny bit of that when we saw them filming Boston Legal, when mm-hmm. we saw them do that same scene several times, mm-hmm. and every time was a little bit different. He didn't. He never read nuance. them. This, th- those few lines that we heard them doing, he didn't do it the same way twice mm-hmm. through, you know, however long we were there, right. 15, 20 minutes. And in that case, when it's film and TV, what you're doing is not just giving the director all this stuff to choose from, but the editor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I know, you know, when I was like a kid, you know, you have no idea how movies are made. You think they shoot in order mm-hmm. and they have all kinds of hidden cameras to do these angles because they're shooting at the, you know, the mm-hmm. way it actually mm-hmm. happens. and. It's not that. You're just throwing out these pieces, and they put them together mm-hmm. into what you want. And when you think about it, it's really kind of amazing that anybody would be given an award for best performance by an actor because even if you're the lead, maybe 10% of what you do actually yeah. ends up there. So the, the award for best editor really should be the, the biggest award that they give at the end. Yeah, because he chose the best stuff that all worked together yep. really well. And put it together in an order that made sense. Yeah. We um, hope. We hope, Yeah. Um, I was just thinking we both um, really like the bit at the end when um, the the backstabbing character Pam is uh, getting hysterical and and Bill kind of grabs her and shakes her and he slaps her. Yeah. (laughs) And then when it's time for the curtain call, he shoves her out on stage. It's not, you know, gentle with her at all. It's a fully committed move. And that's that's fine. I like that. I like that. And we were hoping he would slap her around a little bit more after the show was over. Well, maybe he did. (laughs) So do you think he did Agnes Moorhead? It's probably his job. Yeah. Young actor. Yeah. Trying to get ahead. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. She's very attractive still. What? In that? Well, yeah. I mean... No! She looked awful! Well, I mean, as a person, not, like, in character. Okay. I'll take your word for it. (laughs) I've I've never considered Agnes Moorhead attractive. Well, those... The picture that they had... But that was so obviously touched up. I know. I mean, it hardly even looked like her. I I like the way she looks because she looks different. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, in here they were deliberately trying to make her look older, for one thing, mm-hmm. and, and more, um, you know, like ha- being an alcoholic and kind of falling on hard times like that. Well, it was also actually kind of refreshing now to see an older woman who looks like an older woman yeah, yeah. who has the lines. Mm-hmm. And the circles under her eyes, mm-hmm. instead of all being pulled tight into saran wrap freshness. Mm-hmm. I agree. To I the point agree. where I don't think anybody knows what old people really look no, like. No, it's true. You know, I wanted to I wanted to ask you if you read that thing that Nora Ephron wrote about hating her neck. Um, Did we talk about this? I read about it. I have mm-hmm. not read that. Mm-hmm. So I read it just uh-huh. because I wanted to see what all the fuss was about. Have and you got the book? No, it was uh, in a magazine or online. I might have read it online somewhere. Oh, okay. Um, and, you know, she's funny and all. Mm-hmm. But um, I have a really hard time reading stuff now that's that has that much body hate in it. You know? And, of course, she's being funny about it. Mm-hmm. But this whole obsession with, like, not allowing yourself to age and, and being ashamed of yourself for aging... And having to keep up with your friends who don't want to let themselves age and, and going to extremes to cover up any signs that you couldn't possibly be 30 anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like, it freaks me out because it's so aggressive. Right. And um, 
And the whole thing with the neck, I mean, it's like, I guess she just felt like she had to focus on one particular thing. But she's also, she's, in my opinion, has a history of not liking her own appearance. Yeah. Because I do remember one of the the things from her very, very early book, Crazy Salad, Mm -hmm. where she talks about, for some magazine, Cosmo or whatever, she got to be the makeover person. Mm -hmm. Have you read that? No. You know, it was one of those, we're going to do a makeover. And she was like, thrilled, I'm going to be the makeover, Mm -hmm. you know, the before and after. And, uh, you know, so she goes and they they do your hair and they do your makeup and they take these fabulous photos and you look great. And she's like, hooray, Mm -hmm. you know. And so she, she went home and said to her husband and her friends, let's go out, I look fabulous. She was made up for a camera for bright lights, and she looked hideous and garish, and they did not even want to be seen uh-huh, with her. Uh-huh. You know, it's like wearing stage makeup mm-hmm. out on the street. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I I can see that. I, I guess what I object to in something like that is her point of view is the assumption that all women share her viewpoint. She's writing about a common experience that all women over the mm-hmm. age of 40 hate the way they look and hate getting older and think anything that, that marks you as an older woman is inherently awful and evil and you should hate it. It's like, well, I don't think so. I don't feel that <laughs> way. And I know a lot of people who don't feel that way. I, I don't like that it's presented as a universal sentiment shared by all women everywhere. Right. So I, I, I read some responses to it online and I thought one of them was really good and it was a really well thought out um, thing saying, you know, this whole ageism thing is recent, really. Um, and there was a time not that long ago when um, men really preferred older women, especially as sexual partners, because they were more experienced and knew what to do. And the neck thing in particular, um, the the sort of lines that you get around your neck were at that time called rings, rings of, of Venus. Venus. Yeah. And I just thought that was so wonderful. Like, mm-hmm. what a great concept. Like, that sort of thing should be honored and revived mm-hmm. and you know let's stop obsessing about having plastic surgery because you think you look horrible anyway well, i also, just thought that was refreshing well it's also the idea of um wanting a sex partner only for their physical yeah, attributes yeah. that um it's not just the experience sexually that might make an older partner more desirable but the general experience of yeah. of the world and of other people and like the, you could talk to them the and they maturity, would know stuff. you know yeah, yeah. i mean would I, w- I would not want to be, in, or even <laughs> trying to be, in a relationship with, let's say, a 25-year-old guy. What would you talk about? No matter about? <laughs> how, how good-looking he was, yeah. it would just be, like, <laughs> you're a kid, you know? <laughs> I know. Well, and that's why I'm just so thrilled with Candace Bergen's character on Boston yes. Legal, because they're doing such a good job of presenting her as exactly that, someone with experience and knowledge and personality and everything and incredibly attractive mm-hmm. but she doesn't look like however old candace bergen is i don't even know she's probably what like in her 60s older maybe i don't even know i think she's in her 60s okay. late 60s and they're not trying to make her look like she's 30 right i mean she looks her age nor are they making her a dowdy old woman right. they've got you know betty davis in that yeah. role and even she is feisty and intelligent yeah, yeah. not a cliche dowdy old woman at all, but yeah, that they are, are playing her as, I don't know, I, I imagine that in many ways that is how a female lawyer of that age would be, or yeah. a, a, any female in a, in a, in a corporate position, mm-hmm. 
you know, you, you, you wouldn't turn into a fluffy old knitting lady with a hundred mm-hmm. cats. Right. And you wouldn't be trying to dress like you were 25 and wearing mini skirts and no. things like that. I mean, that, that would be so easy to parody mm-hmm. as someone's idea of what a sexy older woman would look like trying to emulate mm-hmm. a, a, a 25-year-old. And it's just, I, I like the fact that they're um, showing different ways that people can be sexy in, in not in the ways that most people think of. Listen to this. Yeah. Um, there was a, uh, a thing recently. There's um, two shows on the major networks on opposite Boston Legal. And one is, I don't know, it's something that's, that's the big hit, CSI mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. that's sweeping that, that period. But Boston Legal is doing quite well. And the third one, um, they just canceled. Mm-hmm. And it's only been on a few weeks. But it was, um, <laughs> part of the reason they canceled it was they found in, in um, analyzing their viewership mm-hmm. that they were in third place even among 18 to 35-year-olds. And the, the little thing I read said, if you're losing 18 to 35-year-olds to Boston Legal, <laughs> which stars William Shatner and Candace Bergman, Bergen, it's time to hang it up. <laughs> And I thought, well, maybe there's, you know, something more to it than just... I hope so. I, I wanted to tell you this, too, since we're on the subject of wearing miniskirts to work. I was at a client of mine this week, and I almost stopped dead in my tracks with my mouth hanging open because I saw uh, a woman, she looked to be 30 or so, you know, attractive, nice mm-hmm. figure and everything. And she was wearing the short mini skirt that you see female executives and female lawyers wearing on TV. Like on Melrose Place used to be. Well, yeah. you know, and it's like, uh-huh. it's, you know, like a good six uh-huh. inches or more above the knee. And I thought, oh my God, all these years I've been watching that. And when I see it in movies and TV, I'm going, no woman <laughs> dresses like that at work. And there was one. Wow. It, uh, among the thousands of women I have seen at work in my found, lifetime, you found the one. I found the one who dresses like TV. Wow. That's amazing. And I have no idea what she does. And it's not like the sort of company where you're running into the marketroids and stuff who always dress inappropriately because uh-huh. that's part of being a marketroid. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't figure out what she does, what her, what her role is. I don't know. CEO's girlfriend? No, that's mean. I don't know. Well, it would be great if, if a show like Boston Legal was popular amongst the young folk because, it, you know, gives them something to aspire to. Wouldn't you want to be more like Candace Bergen than, I don't know, Allie McBeal, I guess? Yeah. You know, somebody with some brains and stuff and mm-hmm. not real horribly anorexic. Yeah. That would make more sense. That would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> and a woman who's so fabulous in bed that this is what's interesting to me, too is that Alan Shore has been attracted to her for some time, mm-hmm. as we've seen, and we only now are hearing she's fabulous in bed. Yeah. So it wasn't like they built this character up as somebody who's had so many men mm-hmm. or that so many men are still sending her love letters or whatever that you'd go, well, of course. Mm-hmm. That is, And that she was just, like, very matter-of-fact about mm-hmm. it. That was great. I thought so. And, and that she would say it, and, I mean, normally when... Okay, so in our society, if you're a woman and you brag about how good you are in bed, that's because you're a slut. Mm-hmm. 
And she's not. I mean, no. she's bragging about how good she is in bed just because she is, and it's something that she feels proud of. Well, and it's also, I thought the, the mixture there of, yeah, she's proud of it, but she also, in a way, it's almost a burden because <laughs> she's not, she feels at least, she's not free to just sleep with somebody because right. she wants to sleep with them because men don't get over her. That's right. So it's kind of like, it's not fair to you. Exactly. You know, it's like one one sip of nectar is never enough. Exactly. And I mean, she's right. In the case of Denny, he's never gotten over no. her. He's still totally You're in love with her. You're always surprised, Shirley. Oh, I love the way he said that. Maybe, maybe it will end with a threesome between them. What do you think? Could happen? In the wrestling ring? I don't know. With Shirley besting them both? Some sort of, you know, typical BDSM situation where the, the dominatrix forces them mm-hmm. to have sex with each other. That's true. Maybe they'll just all go on a fishing trip together and have to sleep in the same bed. Oh, <laughs> With Shirley in the middle. <laughs> a lawyer sandwich. Definitely. That would be good. A chubby sandwich. A chubby sandwich. <laughs> yeah, they'd have to get a pretty big bed to fit all three of them in it. They would. Sure. They would. <laughs> the butts alone would take up a lot of room. <laughs> mean that in a bad way well we're just gonna have to to stay tuned i know i I can't wait to see what happens i really really hope they pick up the the alan shirley thing Mm -hmm. that'd be great um let's see i think we're kind of coming to the end of things here we have a whole bunch of rare shatner stuff that that we need to get through yes um so we're going to be watching more things like suspicion colon the protege as time goes on and um we want to remind you again that we're going to be going to um, Lost Wages in a couple of weeks. <laughs> as my mother always calls it. And then we're going to be at the uh, Parkway Theater in Oakland, California on November 9th. So come out and uh, cheer Bill on yeah. and impulse with us. Represent for uh, for the butt fans. And butt we're, fans we'll be butt. wearing Look at your butt, Look at His but, Butt t-shirts. So you'll be able to find us. And it's not that big a place. So it's right. not like you'll but have to you look. could wear yours. Yeah. Or make a sign or something. Mm-hmm. That would be cool. That'd be really good, and and hopefully, you know, we'll get. We should we should ask if Lee is going to go. Get her to dress up. Oh, that'd be be awesome! Yeah, I'll write to her. Okay, that would be that would be really good. (laughs) And don't forget to do your homeworks. Yes, because you owe us some homework. Important. And please keep sending us links and email and um, all that other fun stuff because we love to get email from everybody. Yes, and, and thank you to, to all the people who um, notified us when the uh, the DirecTV commercial mm-hmm. came on and when it got onto YouTube. And you guys are, are, are just really good at making sure we know all the bill things. And we so appreciate it. We get the best email from our listeners, totally. Yep. That's good. Um, okay, so that finishes it for now, and we'll be back next time. And I think maybe next time we'll even have an episode review, too. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and we would have today, but I forgot to bring it, so. <laughs> so, oh, gosh, we had to watch this other Bill stuff. Oh, dear. Oh, what a burden. <laughs>